Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. We thank you for joining us on the only show dedicated to truth, justice, and the American way exclusively. There's a lot of rough, tough talk swirling these days. What with Vladimir Putin talking tough, Chinese President Xi making it clear he is the dictator for life, and, well, the United States better get used to the idea that President Biden uh, will be having the last word on just about everything. Uh, telling uh, unvaxxed and anti-vax Americans they're looking at not only a long, cold winter, but they'll also be getting really, really sick and maybe die, maybe probably die. At least Dr. Fauci is enjoying all of this. And no one can blame Donald Trump this time. It's the Joe Biden show now, and he and his vice president are truly the lousiest leaders in American history, don't you think? What a mess this administration is. The China virus is raging. You know, the one that he said was just about over and the economy appears to be slowing and the stock market. Well, let's call the stock market just confused for right now to bring order, light, peace and understanding to all of us. Now, we've invited none other than our good friend, Mark Simone, great broadcaster, radio legend, podcaster without peer, great American and number one on W.O.R. New York City. Here now, the tireless man of many talents. Mark Simone. Mark, great to have you with us. I don't know. I'm kind of tired. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, was, it, was that a response to the length of your introduction? Oh, I was listening to the introduction. I'm wondering who the hell could this be? I didn't think it was me. It sounded so good. <laughs> it's all in the voice, Mark. You know that. Oh, it's all in the voice. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Uh, I remember back at uh, when it was becoming uh, 2021, everybody said, thank God 2020 is over. That was a terrible year. <laughs> I'm glad 2021 is over. Yeah. Well, it, and it got so much better, didn't it, uh, as the year progressed. Uh, you notice Donald Trump was responsible for every single American who died in 2020, right? And, <laughs> and, and more Americans died in 2021 of the, the China virus. Uh, than in 2020, but he gets a free pass from everybody, whether it's uh, the Republican Party, Democratic Party, and of course, the national left-wing media. Somehow Biden is just sort of blameless, and uh, maybe it's because he isn't, doesn't, well, he just doesn't carry the same high profile that Donald Trump did. I, I think you have to give Biden a lot of credit for, for this. It was an incredible year he had, 2021. I mean, if you look at what he got away with, this Hunter Biden scheme, they probably made $100 million on this. Who, who knows where it went? Probably the whole family. They got away with that. Afghanistan, the worst military disaster. On the simplest thing, they got away with that. The border, screwing it up completely. They got away with that. 
the supply chain crisis, that's a pretty easy one to fix. It's just unloading crates off a ship. They right. got away with messing. They got away with more stuff than Bonnie and Clyde ever did. I mean, this is a record setting what Biden got away with. No, you're absolutely right. And people don't look at it that way. Uh, he, first of all, he, he doesn't spend a lot of time in that White House, most of the time in one of his bunkers somewhere in Delaware. And, and he doesn't have to answer questions. Uh, he just looks at people knowingly and sort of gets that uh, PO'd look on his face, like, how dare you interrupt my, my sleep or whatever. Uh, it's amazing. And the press, no complaint about no press conferences, no complaint about not answering questions. Donald Trump was making himself available every day to and fro the helicopter or a press conference or a briefing and, and, and no complaint whatsoever about uh, sleepy Joe, as President Trump used to call him. No, and, uh, you know, there were moments where uh, when the Omicron showed up and he said, this is a crisis, an emergency. We're going to have to close the borders. Three weeks from Wednesday. And then uh, there was that Friday where he said, I've got to address the nation. This is so serious. Uh, it'll be next Tuesday. It's a good, so he, he does everything. He, you know, he, when he started, he said, I have a plan to fight the pandemic. Unlike Trump, I have a plan. Right. Apparently the plan was just do what Trump was doing, but do it a lot slower. He just slowed everything down. The Biden you know, when, plan is a little like the Nixon plan back in the seventies. You know, he had a plan, but we never did learn what it was, you know, but it was good uh, enough to get him elected. Oh no. Biden had, uh, was a three point plan. Then he said he had eight point plan, seven point plan. Nobody's ever heard what these points are, but, <laughs> but it was had, more detailed than Nixon's because he had eight <laughs> points that we never heard of. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's, let's talk about what's going on here. Fauci, uh, and the, White House crew sending out that n nasty note about Americans are either vaccinated or they're unvaccinated. And if you're unvaccinated, you're going to have a long winter and you're going to die. What in the world possesses people in that White House to think like that, let alone send out a message like that? Well, you know, when they said they're going to lock down everything, you couldn't believe that lock. How can you lock down? Well, they did it and they said, it has to be done to end this. And well, it got worse after they locked down. Then they right. said, you know, Wear these paper masks everywhere you go. This will fix it. This will prevent it. And then it just got worse. And then uh, it was two masks. And then it was uh, one mask. And then uh, you don't need the mask. And now you got to wear the mask. And it, uh, they, you know, it, this is the problem with bureaucrats that have been there too long. You know, J. Edgar Hoover was there 40 years. And he was a disaster. And he, there's so long, nobody realized what a disaster he was. And Fauci is J. Edgar Hoover with a stethoscope. He's just a bumbling guy. Uh, in the private sector, he would have been fired after the first six months. He shouldn't be there anymore. There was an image, J. Edgar Hoover playing doctor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the show, and he's written this book about how awful Fauci is. And I said, you realize your father battled Hoover, and now you got to battle this guy. <laughs> and he, well, Fauci is, he is something else. Uh, he is, he's sort of like a, I don't know. It's an, he's like an albatross sort of sitting on the, uh, you know, uh, out on the pier uh, and only makes a noise when he thinks there's going to be possibly, possibly bubonic plague, the Black Death or something rolling over the shores. Uh, he is, uh, he's become something of a talisman uh, of his own, a totem, uh, and, and nothing good seems to flow from it. Yeah. And he's like John Kerry when he, Kerry ran for president. He thinks you just go on every show you can go on, 
say whatever you have to say. If it doesn't work, say the opposite. If that doesn't work, say something in the middle. If that doesn't work, say something totally different. Just keep saying things until something sticks and it uh, it never works. And Fauci's a cute guy. He's very cute on television, but totally ineffective. Yeah, but he is kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a very charming fellow. He's, uh, one, you know, uh, very easy to talk with uh, until you listen to what he's saying. And then you start to, to worry a bit. Uh, like, we don't need to shut down travel from China. We don't need to be shutting down our borders. We don't need masks. Uh, the only thing he didn't say is we, we do need uh, vaccines. He was right about that. Yeah, and people don't notice. He literally goes on every show, do 100 shows a day, go on every show in the world, except any show that might really question him. Any like, like you or you know, a real host who might really ask him tough questions. Those shows he will not do. Even a publicity uh, hound won't I'll do this. I'll tell you a, a, a funny story, which has the uh, added convenience of being absolutely true. <laughs> he, he was, uh, I think he was amongst the first uh, on, on my show, uh, you know, what would we say, the late show uh, the, uh, on Fox, in which uh, he came on in January and February and everything was fine until I had declared two weeks before the World Health Organization that it was a pandemic. And after that, he didn't want to come on the show anymore. Uh, for some reason, I don't know. It just uh, Maybe I didn't, uh, I wasn't politically correct enough for him. Well, actually, you reminded me, I, I have to apologize to everybody, all my listeners. In January and February of that year, I was saying this is nothing. It's just a flu. It's not going to be. And I was getting that from Fauci. That's what he was saying. And I remember uh, sitting there on your show and you used the word. I never heard anybody use this word. You use the word pandemic. I never heard anybody use the word in this case, in this situation with this virus. And I oh. thought you were going too far with that word. But that's the first place I heard the word pandemic. Well, and two weeks later, the WHO yeah. Got permission from President Xi to call it a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, it, it's good to see communication like that between world leaders, uh, the head of the WHO and, and President Xi. Uh, so, you know, to, speaking of communication, I, you know, this build back bill that was going to be the panacea for, uh, uh, I like to use these medical terms like panacea, uh, for everything that ails the economy. Uh, all of the uh, all of the broke, uh, busted, uh, Democrat-run state budgets. Uh, you know, it was going to bail everybody out, and now we won't have that stimulus package. Uh, do you think the you think the country can survive? <laughs> well, the uh, problem with the bill uh, is if you actually read it, ninety percent of it is is crap. It's just uh, waste, fraud, bloat, payoffs, uh, gifts to donors. It's just nothing. 90% of it. No, normally you could take a bill like this, break it up into separate bills, do each thing separately. Mm -hmm. Each thing sounds great. They get it voted in each month. You do one. It have creates, hearings, have hearings. Yeah. And it creates a momentum every month. You're getting something great best, but you can't break this bill up into separate bills because you'll notice uh, nine out of 10 of them are just stupid things that no one wants. It, uh, maybe 10% is actual infrastructure. And for the infrastructure, 90% of that is wasted because they're overpaying for everything. So and and, and mansion hiring foreign corporations to do the work so that gets <laughs> to be less than stimulative uh, but one thing we do know it costs 1.75 trillion dollars but wait a minute we don't really know that that's just what the biden white house said then the congressional budget office scored it and it's three trillion dollars <laughs> then uh the penn wharton uh uh, uh 
uh, agency uh, came out with uh, 4.6 trillion. The latest bid is 4.9 trillion on what they said was a 1.75 trillion bill. I mean, it's it's outrageous the level of lying and deceit by this administration. It's just outrageous. And thank goodness for uh, for Joe Manchin. He had the guts to stand up with 50 Republican senators and say, no way. Yeah, but all of this is caused by totally corrupt media that's not functioning properly. If they really were real and they went through this bill, you know, a simple thing like building a highway, it's $40,000 a mile. That's the cost to pave a highway. In this bill, we're spending $2 million a mile. So the media should be all over that. You well, know, wait, even, a minute, wait a minute. That's just it's just an example of the inflation that we're going yeah. through, isn't it? <laughs> Forty thousand versus two million. It's, it's a little higher than usual, but you know, I see it as inflationary, don't you? you know, they just built a terminal at the airport here, our LaGuardia Airport in New York. Twenty billion for this. It's just a box. It's a nothing building. Uh, in France, they built entire state-of-the-art airports for five billion dollars. They don't steal all the infrastructure money, so. Uh, it, it, I'd be happy to spend $5 trillion on infrastructure. If you really got $5 trillion worth of stuff, you know, they've fixed all of our infrastructure a thousand times over and it's still crumbling. So that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, I, I'd be, I, I, I can't even say I'd be glad to pay those taxes, even if I got something for it. Uh, I, I'm so tired of paying taxes. Uh, you know, I wonder, you know, you, you pay, you, you pay your income taxes. Uh, yeah, then you have pay property taxes, you've got sales taxes, uh, you've got capital gains taxes if you've had a good year. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it just goes on and on. Then, of course, you get to pay taxes if you die. Uh, at what point do Americans say, whoa, maybe we just don't need this much government? How about we roll it back 20%? Cut taxes 20%, roll back government by 20%. What would be wrong with that idea? Well, I'm amazed people don't do that. You know, you act like a consumer. If you go into uh, the finest uh, store, you go into Tiffany's and spend thousands of dollars, you come out with something beautiful and shining. It's great. But here in New York, if you pay a fortune in taxes, you walk outside your house, the sidewalk is all crumbling. There's mental patients all over the street, potholes everywhere, the bridges are falling. And this is what I'm paying 60% in taxes for? Uh, I mean, just smart consumerism would say this is ridiculous. Well, and, and the idea of smart citizenship has just gone out the window. I, I mean, uh, we're looked at uh, not as citizens of this country by our erstwhile uh, bureaucracy and elected officials. We're consumers. We're taxpayers. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're demographic uh, units. Uh, but we're not citizens because citizens actually have a say in what is happening to them uh, and to their government. Uh, we, we seem to have lost that ca capacity. Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, there's, you know, it, it's a cycle and it comes to an end at some point and people wake up. And I think uh, November of this year, the midterm elections, I, I hopefully uh, there's a silent majority out there. that's just going to rise up and, and just wipe out these Democrats saying we're sick of all this. Uh, we can't take this anymore. This let the criminals out, uh, a crime wave that you've created, this, these taxes, this, uh, I mean, hopefully they'll lose 75 seats in the House and 25 in the Senate, and that'll be the end of it. Although then we got to trust these Republicans. But yeah, well, there's, I'm looking hard for somebody to trust in the, in the body politic. I'm not sure where, where I'm going to land on that. 
you know, the silent majority, isn't it interesting that we're always looking for the silent majority? No one seems to be looking for the silent minority. Uh, you know, we have uh, vested interests all over the country uh, that, uh, you know, uh, you know, where is the, where are the libertarians? They used to be around. Uh, they were uh, always a minority candidate, the Green Party. Uh, you, you go through the, where are the independents right now? Yeah. They've all lost a voice in the place. You know, and, and I never knew what that meant, silent majority, till I got on Twitter. And then I found out if they don't like your tweet, it goes nowhere and nobody sees it. So I guess that's what they mean. But uh, independent, you know, you wrote a book once called Independence Day. And I, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's independence. Was it really good? It was phenomenal. Everybody should go read this. And <laughs> so far ahead of its time. It's it's really just independence from all of this. Uh, breaking loose from this whole, I mean, I, I, if I could just push a button and get rid of the Democrats, the Republicans, both parties, I think it would be great. Uh, independents uh, are the answer. Uh, I, I, I loved that about Donald Trump. Wasn't really on either side. He was just on the right side, uh, the logical side, the let's get things done side. Uh, I, you, know, you, you know, historians, I don't know if they'll look back on this fairly, but everything he did was what needed to be done. Just fix things. Just be like the private sector. Get it done. Don't worry if you step on toes. Uh, and yeah. if historians will look back and say, you threw away all that just because you didn't like his uh, bedside manner. You didn't like his tweeting. <laughs> well, it, it, and that, by the way, is precisely what this comes down to. That and the fact that he scared the, the hell out of the uh, establishment, uh, the orthodoxy, the business establishment, uh, Wall Street, uh, uh, all of those who were living on the uh, public trough uh, for decades uh, were suddenly shaking in their boots when he said deep state, uh, <laughs> you know, that was it. Uh, it was it was war and it was war carried out so, so viciously against a sitting president. If you had told anyone, I think, in this country with any sense that we would witness a president being impeached twice. Uh, once for a phone call and once because the opposing campaign created a hoax uh, that became the basis for a special counsel in, uh, investigation of a sitting president. You would have said no way in the world. And yet it happened. Uh, and I think could happen again, don't you? Oh, uh, if he if he tries to come back, they'll they'll pull out all the stops in New York. Our attorney general has been trying to go after him. Our district attorney's been trying. You know, they're looking for a crime. Uh, they got a hold of his tax returns. Uh, in uh, almost a year ago, and they brought in forensic accounts. They went through it for three months. There wasn't anything wrong with any of the tax forms. Everything was perfect. That's why you never heard about that again. Uh, then they arrested his, one of his top guys for using a company car. Yeah. <laughs> what company doesn't have that going on? <laughs> exactly. And when I, when I think about all that he went through, uh, it's just stunning because I don't, I don't really believe that there are many billionaires who could go through the investigations that he's gone through, the uh, persecution that he's gone through, and come out of it without even a parking ticket violation. Uh, but because that's exactly what he did. I, I mean, they didn't find a thing. I, now I'd like them to do that investigation uh, with uh, let's let, let's do it with uh, you know who's a big uh, Democratic billionaire. Oh, let's try uh, George Soros. <laughs> Okay, George Soros. That I'm, he was next on my list. Uh, Warren Buffett was going to be first. I'm sure Warren Buffett is squeaky clean, but George Soros. I mean, I don't know. 
these are these are people who live uh, you know pretty well without paying a lot of taxes at least uh, commensurately uh, to the federal treasury. Uh, I, I mean, it's really stunning to think that he came out of that absolutely clean, and it just drives the left mad. Well, they're still going on. You know, the it turns out one of the company executives used a company apartment. This is a company that has 10,000 apartments, probably at any time, 500 of them are empty. So, right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's stunning. And, and, oh, this, this little back and forth uh, between uh, Elizabeth Warren and Elon Musk, where she accused Elon Musk of, uh, you know, being a freeloader. I, I mean, how in the world, in, I know she was a, a lawyer, uh, but, even a lawyer should under, understand economics and business better than that, don't you think? Yeah, and also, if you're really concerned about climate change, if you're really sincere and you want to get to electric energy and battery power and all that, the only way that's going to happen is Elon Musk. He's the guy that's going to figure that out. This is the last guy you want to try and knock down. Uh, if anybody's going to solve the climate change problem as far as uh, getting rid of fossil fuel, this is the guy. It's not going to be these government handouts to cylinder type companies. It's going to be this guy. They should be throwing parades for this guy. They should be calling him every day saying, what do you need? You need more money? What can we do for you to help you with this stuff? Yeah. And he is without question, uh, one of the, uh, well, he's the, what was it? Newsweek time of the time magazine, uh, man of the year. <laughs> anyway, he got to be man of the year. And I think he deserves it uh, for lots of reasons, uh, whether it be uh, Tesla SpaceX, or just the fact that uh, he's, he's, he's amassed so much wealth, I'm not sure he really cares how the business goes day to day. Uh, he's got a long-term outlook. Uh, he wants to see what the next $50, 50 billion looks like. Uh, he's quite a capitalist, and, and, and that's fun to see. But the last thing Elizabeth Warren wants to see is a successful capitalist. Uh, by the way, that usually is the best way to be successful is to be a capitalist in a capitalist country, don't you think? Yeah, I think when you find out a guy made $2 billion, he must be pretty smart. So when I hear a guy made $250 billion, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really smart guy. And you compare that to Elizabeth Warren, who's probably lost $250 billion of our money uh, in waste and uh, bloat and fraud in these bills. Uh, I'll take Elon Musk anytime. And uh I wish he wasn't born in this country. He's born in South Africa. Otherwise, he'd be a great presidential candidate. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, the thing that impresses me, though, most about Elon Musk, I know this may sound a little crazy, but he's the only guy I know who thought about landing a rocket on its tail after it's already flown to space, returning and then landing <laughs> tail first <laughs> on, a, on a platform. I mean, who, who, nobody was thinking about that. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. If you look back at the space program, especially in the sixties was so sophisticated to land on the moon. It was unbelievably sophisticated. Then you watch when they come back, it's like three little parachutes and they, it has to hit the ocean and float around till somebody can go get it. Right. It kind of, that was a very primitive system of landing, but it worked. Uh, and you know, you talk about moon landing. I keep thinking about this. You know, we didn't have the federal government involved in public education when we sent a man to the moon. But we didn't have two all-powerful teachers unions before we sent a man to the moon. So you know what happened after that? We got two powerful teachers unions and, and 
uh, suddenly no one was in charge of public education but the teachers and the federal government. And we haven't been back to the moon since. Does that tell you something? <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, Catholic Church runs the best schools here in New York. Somebody asked the cardinal, what would you do to fix our school? He said, do what we do. Cut the budget by 90%. And people were shocked. And he said, you, you got 94 cents of every dollar, never gets near a classroom. Get rid of all those layers and layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy. Just send the money into the classroom, cut it down. The unions uh, have done more to just screw up our school systems, keep money from getting to where it needs to go, uh, and, and have just made a mess of everything when it comes yeah. to schools. Well, it, it, it's really true. And, and give the money to the teachers, for crying out loud. Why not pay teachers better? Uh, but pay them based on performance. Uh, and, I, and why not have, uh, and I think it's also very important that we have a lot of surveillance in those schools. Uh, we've got to do a lot of things to change the way we're treating uh, education and the way education uh, is uh, treating us because much of education now is indoctrination of our kids rather than their education. And we need to change all of that. And we need to do it soon if we want to go back to the moon or to Mars, as Elon <laughs> Musk would say. Uh, let me ask you this as we're wrapping out here. A lot of stories uh, lately about the establishment media, corporate media, uh, its readership, viewership, usership, dropping almost 50% in the, in the, since uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump uh, left office. What can we do to help out poor corporate media uh, and help their numbers, their ratings, and their viewership, and their circulation. What can we do for them? Well, I, I give them credit for standing on principle. They're uh, left-wing, crazy, biased principle. They were willing to lose half their business to stick by it. Uh, there's, you know, it, whenever you go after the government or expose something or well, these exposés that get big ratings, there's plenty of them to do with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And they they still refuse to do them. And I, I, you know, I think if Jimmy Carter is watching this, he must say to himself, where was this corrupt media when I was in office? I could have had another term if they covered for me like this. Uh, it's, it's something we've never been through. And I don't think a democracy can really function without working media. And, uh, you know, it's actually a really, really dangerous thing. There's guys like John Malone who are talking about turning CNN back into a news network. Uh, hopefully he'll lead the charge and do that. Yeah, except John Malone was also the guy who wanted all of the networks uh, to get into uh, uh, online gambling. And, uh, uh, you know, instead we're going that direction instead of to uh, higher levels of journalism. Uh, let, let's let's uh, wrap this thing up with uh, something very important, a, a big issue. And that is, do you think, do you think that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the two worst people to ever hold the presidency and vice presidency uh, uh, on the same ticket in the same administration. Is that a real question? It is. I just is that wanna, even a question? I'm just taking a stab. I want to see, see what the, uh, <laughs> there's not even a second place. Nobody could compete. <laughs> Spiro Agnew was Winston Churchill compared to uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Carter was, uh, was a genius compared to Joe Biden. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Carter had some, first of all, he had a good first year. It took him to like year three to start screwing up. And, uh, 
you know, like the getting the hostages out of Iran. That was a complex problem. Hard to figure out. This yeah. guy can't even figure out how to just pull out of Afghanistan. He leaves the weapons all over the runway, forgets. Uh, you, you can't figure out a supply chain. It's just unloading ships. The simplest things baffle him. You know, and she's just around giggling and laughing where every, at everything. With a, obviously a clue what in the world she's doing. Uh, not a clue. Uh, all I can think of is when you were mentioning at the, uh, as we began this discussion, uh, talking about the uh, Afghanistan, they messed that up to such a fairly well. Uh, we lost 13 Marines. Uh, we lost uh, apparently over 500 Americans when we left. Uh, we uh, have gotten apparently most of them out, but it, it would almost like you'd be like General Lee at Appomattox. You know, we were there to surrender. We, we may be the first country to ever mess up a surrender. Uh, we had already screwed up the war. Uh, the Taliban prevailed. But to mess up the surrender just looks, it looks, I guess the word is tacky, don't you think? Yeah, it's pretty easy. You evacuate your civilians, then the military leaves. They did it the other way. The military left, then they figure out how to go back and rescue the civilians. Uh, and as Donald Trump pointed out, these helicopters are 30 million apiece. And to say it's cheaper to leave them, as he said, why can't you just put half a tank of gas in them and fly them out of there? <laughs> How could that not be cheaper? That would have been the most economical way, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mark, always great to talk with you. I appreciate it so much. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon. And uh, you take care of yourself. All right. Well, I love this podcast. I love listening to it. Thanks for having me. You're great. My good friend, Mark Simone, truly a broadcasting legend and great American and a great friend. We'll be back with more of the Great America Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The big ruckus in our nation's capital of late, the latest COVID, or more properly, the latest China virus variant storm, Omicron, is here. And Dr. Fauci couldn't be more thrilled. His hair is absolutely on fire, as it often is. Now, let's see. All the left-wing media and Biden radical dims were blaming then-President Trump for every single death from the pandemic. And now that more Americans died in 2021 than from the virus in 2020, they're giving President Biden an absolute pass, not only on each death from the China virus, but from the pandemic itself. Think about it. We've got two years experience with that disease, but not two years worth of knowledge. Our public health professionals are still contradicting themselves. They've politicized almost every aspect of the war against COVID. And remember when your left-wing friends start whining about vaccinations, shutdowns, and masks, remind them it was Joe Biden who led the charge against vaccine. He kept telling everyone he wasn't going to take the vaccine because it had been invented under Donald Trump's administration. Kamala Harris, by the way, followed her leader. Now this White House puts out a nasty message that says to the unvaccinated, you'll get severely sick or die over the winter. Nasty stuff, and it reads like a letter from Stalin. But it's just another message emanating from the Biden White House. The Bidens and the left are leading an authoritarian revolution, if you hadn't noticed. And one of the people in the fight against the leftist efforts to crush the Constitution and the country is attorney Harmeet Dillon. 
also California National Republican Committee woman, not only a terrific attorney and advocate, but a great American. Harmeet, great to have you with us on The Great America Show. Uh, happy to be here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lou. You have fought uh, against the, the madness of this administration and the, the its authoritarian impulses. What are you thinking today? Well, so many thoughts uh, have gone through my mind at the end of 2021 with respect to how quickly Joe Biden has driven this recovering economy into the ground, has driven America to the far left extreme of politics, has made so many Americans miserable with the inflation that's affecting real consumer experiences every day, and you know, attempts to shred the integrity of our courts and all of our norms. And so uh, as an American, setting aside a Republican, as an American, I'm very concerned about the future of this country. And that's why I, and I'm sure you and so many others spend so much time trying to fight back and make sure that not only do we stop this guy in his tracks, but frankly, also we elect better Republicans to our federal offices so that they can uh, protect our interests better going forward. It was just got word that, uh, that Biden has put forward 40, 40 judges, put, put them on the bench in our judicial system. It's uh, the most since Reagan. Uh, your thoughts about the influence that he is uh, building, uh, it's something of a legacy. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, those of us in the law look at this, and I was looking at this very fact earlier today. So Biden will be able to claim, you know, give or take one more judge on the federal courts than President Trump in his first year in office. Um, okay. But, you know, what he's doing is really replacing the senior status judges, the handful of judges who were pretty much holding on, clinging on for dear life until a Democrat came back. Uh, all of the historic number of over 200 judges that President Trump managed to confirm are still there. Uh, they're younger in generation. They're going to be there for a long time. So what's really setting up is, is I think it's going to take a few years uh, for Biden to catch up. He may not have a few years because if Republicans do their job correctly, he has one more year to stuff the uh, bench with his woke candidates. Some of them are very fine lawyers, and some of them are just, frankly, activists in robes. Um, one of the disappointments this past 2021 has been that, uh, you know, you have some senators like uh, Lindsey Graham, who have simply rubber stamped some of the more extreme choices by President Biden. We never got that courtesy uh, on the Republican side, and I'm not saying that people should block judges if they're qualified, but we disagree with their politics. Some of these folks are radicals and have said some pretty outrageous things. And so I don't understand why Republicans give them that courtesy. You know, this isn't a game of croquet. It is the future of our country. Yeah, it isn't a game. It isn't uh, certainly uh, anything so mild and moderate as croquet. But Lindsey Graham is what he is. Uh, he's a rhino. Uh, he is a uh, eccentric rhino at that. And he is uh, now very influential, and thanks to Donald Trump. No rhino he, but certainly not adverse to furthering the interest of rhinos. We can't have that going on either, can we? Well, I think this has been going on for, for many years at many levels, and I don't want to really you know, name call. I'm, I'm a member of the Republican National Committee, but what I will say as a, as a, uh, at, at a high level, 
Lou, is that I think a problem we have here is that when Republicans have power, they don't, in a disciplined fashion, implement a agreed upon agenda. The left is doing exactly that. It doesn't really mean you could, you could interchange all of the Democrats and it wouldn't make much of a difference as to what their right. what their agenda is. You could replace AOC. You could replace Nancy Pelosi. You could replace Chuck Schumer. They'd still have the same agenda uh, because they've had that agenda for decades. And on our side, you throw a few lobbyist bucks at some of our Republicans who pound the table during hearings about big tech censorship. And, you know, they will spout the talking points of Google, Facebook, and Twitter. I've, I've sat down with them and I've heard it from their lips uh, in social settings and, and in green rooms. So I know it and it just puzzles me um, how easy it is for our guys to either get bought or uh, influenced, I should say, I won't say get bought, but what, what I can say is I don't think those folks are gonna change. And I do think that what we need in Congress is citizen leaders who have had experience in the real world are willing to come in and do this for some time and then go back to the real world. That's my dream. And, um, you know, on the other hand, what we also need is, is a party with a focused agenda and a leader that is willing with personnel, with resources and with moral capital to make it happen. I mean, look at look at the moral capital, if you can call it that, that Joe Biden exerted over his uh, you know, signature legislation that he was trying to push through in 2021. I mean, he really worked it. The Democrats really worked it. And it was only by the sheer dint of a couple of outlier Democrats that our country was prevented, at least temporarily, from going down a disastrous road of uh, shredding up our election laws and changing the courts and doing all kinds of other things. But for other pieces of legislation, like the infrastructure bill, uh, Republicans were right there to sign on to it as long as they got their pork. And this system has to change and citizens have to hold these people accountable in both parties. And if you want to know how, uh, and I agree with you about not calling people names, and I never do unless I have to, this may be one of those occasions. <laughs> and uh, the reality is that uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mitch McConnell, are, are eager to do the bidding of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable. What makes it doubly contemptible is that the Business Roundtable and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce are now more aligned with the Democratic left-wing neo-Marxist agenda than they are the Republicans. So they're nothing more than useful fools and tools. Your thoughts? You know, absolutely. So when I left college in the late 1980s, uh, you know, I had been influenced by my friends Dinesh D'Souza, Laura Ingram, you know, some good conservatives. My first job after college was at the Heritage Foundation. The Heritage Foundation came off of eight years of being the brain trust for the Reagan revolution. And what an exhilarating time it was. Every single day at the Heritage Foundation, new things were being done. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was inspiring for a young conservative. But whatever worked in the 1980s is not, is not the messaging we need to be carrying forward in 2022. And yet I hear kind of the same tired slides and talking points from the 80s and the 90s as I'm, as I'm, as I'm sitting here looking at big tech, which wasn't there in those times and wasn't mm -hmm. influencing our elections and our news and even our ability to talk freely about a virus. Uh, we didn't have uh, hordes, millions of people crossing the border illegally. We were talking then benevolently about amnesty for 
you know, a much smaller number. We which don't came have, in we, 1986, by the way, which came in, exactly. And, you know, like a lot of compassionate conservatives, he thought he sold it as a one time deal. Was it a one time deal, President Reagan? Um, so in any event, you know, the, the, the situation has totally changed. The liberals have totally changed. The liberals of the 1980s and 90s, they played basketball together with, you know, the, the Republicans. They were all friends. They used to hang out together. There was a common understanding about our country. But today, we don't have that anymore. Today, we have a very divided situation. And I think big tech is partially responsible for that. But big dark money is too. Um, and 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 we, we simply cannot use that tired old playbook. You know, some of our members of Congress are from that era, and they are not able to move on. So I think what we need is new representatives. And on the front end, the, the voters, their customers, need to be demanding specifically, what are they going to do about the issues that we care about and whoever that voter is? I personally care about big tech censorship and manipulation of our information and privacy. I care about uh, national security, but but not at the expense of simply America being the policeman of the world. I care about opportunity and real consumer costs. I care about children not being taught that America is a bad country and that white people and men are bad and that there is no gender. These are some of the things that I care about life. These are some of the things I personally care about. And right. I'm not sure well, I can point to any Congress people who are uh, advancing the agenda on those issues. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, just a little thought experiment here, if we may. Uh, when's the last time you heard a Republican say that we've landed a man on the moon without the benefit of teachers unions, federal uh, intervention in public education? And we haven't been able to get back since the strengthening and peak power of those two teachers unions. What, what do you think of that? Is there a Republican well, ready to say it's time to get rid of those teachers unions and to go after them? Well, the problem, well, to go after them is one thing. To get rid of them is, I think, going to be very difficult with federal power because, you know, our 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 one durable perspective as conservatives is that the federal government should not be implementing central control. And I, we, we can't ban, you know, the teachers union. What we can do is we can implement changes to federal law concerning certain aspects of education, or at least at, at a minimum tie federal dollars to certain norms. I mean, I think that's a well, respectable and effective thing to do. We, we aren't doing that. I mean, if the left, the Democrats, the radical Dems in this country, the Marxist left in this country can ban school boards and, and private citizens from having significant influence over public education. Uh, which has been the tradition as well as the the law in this uh, country for two centuries and we did very well with it it's just amazing to me why in the world can we not go after teachers unions that are uh, using uh, federal dollars uh, massive influence to overwhelm local school boards and in conjunction with the the, the radical dem party uh, actually, in some cases, going after teachers who raise their voices in a school board meeting objecting to critical race theory or ESG or whatever it may be. This is, this is a time for Republicans to fight. We want to play by rules that are no longer recognized by the other side. That is madness, is it not? I hear you. So what, I'm, what I was going to say is that I think we, we, we cannot achieve those goals at the federal level. 
the power is too diffuse and the power, frankly, isn't there. At the state level, every single conversation I have with somebody who calls me and says, I'm a first time candidate and I'm fed up, I'd like to run for fill in the blank, governor, senator, Congress. I say, no, no, no. First of all, you're going to lose because you don't know what you're doing. You have to build that, build up those skills. But secondly, why not start right in your local community and run for school board? Republicans need to take over every school board in America. Parents need to be taking control of these school boards. We advocate that uh, weekly on this podcast, by the way. But what I don't understand is why the Republican National Committee, former president, and anyone who wants to contest uh, for any federal elective position doesn't say, we're going to be there to help you. We're going to give you a plan. The Republican Party hasn't got anything approaching a plan to, to inspire, to organize, and to execute a plan at the local level, which is desperately needed. It's a, I think it's a good point. It's a gap, and it's something that we need to address, and I'm going to pursue that in my small way. But I do think that it is something that needs to be done. And let me just... You know, for your listeners, I'm sure people may understand this, but the way politics works in D.C. is, you know, he who controls the power or the money gets his ox board, right? And so the the folks who decide messaging for our national candidates and our national party are generally people who are, you know, getting paid and getting paid by certain interests. And so this, the parents don't have a union. The parents don't have lobbyists. Parents don't have don't have that going for them. I mean, the parents in Virginia had it going with a very smart candidate who pivoted. I mean, he was sort of straight out of central casting, Mitt Romney type, you know, successful plutocrat when he started running. But the way he pivoted and seized the teachers' uh, abuses and the parents' rights issue was a model, I think, for campaigns all over the country. So I hope to see more of that. But you're right. We have to have that be that that's a cultural issue that touches people the same way that inflation, which, you know, you I, I posted something on Twitter the other day. I went to the grocery store to make a salad. Lettuce was seven dollars, which used to be three or four dollars. I couldn't believe it. I posted it online and one of my friends said, well, Jen Psaki would say that big lettuce is to blame for this, not, uh, you know, the inflationary pressures that the Biden administration created. These are the bread and butter issues that Americans see every single day. And yes, you don't hear Republicans talking about it other than sort of in some rehearsed talking points. I mean, we really need to focus on these issues. The left has done that very effectively. So we need not just sort of money people shuffling around money from lobbyists to Republican candidates and Republicans in Congress. We need storytellers. We need, we need, you know, really kind of people who connect with these issues, the schools, the pocketbook, the border. Uh, Donald Trump actually pulled a lot of that together, but the big tech censorship has eliminated his ability for now to commit, uh, communicate the way that he used to. And I hope he gets a different platform that works out for him. Um, and, and gets that back. But he can't be just the one person. There have to be many voices. We have to insist on that from really all of our leaders. Right. The problem that, that we've got is, as you know, uh, we have a great leader in uh, former President Trump, but no one wanted to follow him uh, in amongst the establishment Republicans. And therefore there was, and, and, and the left, 
was in absolute constant warfare with him and continued to be so without any national media being supportive. I mean, none. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a pipe dream to think any of that's going to change without inspired new leadership in the Republican Party, don't you think? Well, we always need new leadership. I think that we, um, we, we, we desperately need it in our party. We need it in Congress. We need it in, you know, certainly candidates with fresh ideas. Um, we need it in turnover at the state and, and, you know, even at some point the federal party level. Uh, we need a change in mentality. You know, we really do. We need, we need to be fighting for this as, as if our life depended on it. Now, you know, most members of the Republican National Committee are, are wonderful people. As I'm in my fifth year, actually going into my sixth year now as a member of the RNC. But they're generally pretty successful people. Uh, they're pretty, I don't think there are any members of the RNC who are going to undergo hardship if the gas price goes from three to four dollars or in California <laughs> edging towards six dollars. We're all going to be able to fill our tanks and buy the seven dollar lettuce. You, you so, people in California may have a little more trouble than you think doing that. Uh, there's three of us, and I think we're all being able to fill up our gas tanks. But 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 that's not to say that it doesn't shock me to see see these prices and know you know that when I'm hiring people, I've got a I've got 20 employees. When I'm hiring people, some of these issues you know, they really impact them. And, yeah. and I, I care, you know, but I think that a lot of folks are a little bit more removed in politics, particularly politicians who haven't really held down an honest job in decades. Some of them, they, they don't, they're not in touch with average people. They're not hearing it. They don't spend time in their districts. They hang out in DC and yeah. they become out of touch. And you know what? You're describing just exactly what most men, I, I truly believe this. I think most men and women working men and women in this country think that you've just described the ultimate stereotype, a prototype even, uh, for a Republican in this day and age. You were talking about uh, Youngkin, uh, the uh, governor-elect, now governor uh, in, uh, in Virginia. He is a plutocrat. My God, uh, he's as tied to the establishment as you can be. He wouldn't endorse uh, either Trump or his policies, uh, but uh, deftly, I think ran a terrific campaign and got elected, but he is, he's not going to be the prototype for the Republican party. If it's going to survive and prosper, in my opinion, I can't wait for the noblesse oblige, uh, you know, <laughs> statement from him, uh, as he deigns to take on this, uh, you know, uh, you're probably right. You know, but, but so, so here's the other thing that maybe some of, some of your listeners may not know, which is that the left doesn't simply rely on, their elected officials. In, in a sense, when you carefully look at Nancy Pelosi's various iterations over the years, she almost looks like she's a hostage in her own party at this point. Yes, she's uh, you know aggressively wielding power and so forth, but she's being pushed into certain positions outside her normal comfort zone of you know helping out her rich buddies by forces in her party. Yep. But who's really pulling the strings is actually billionaires through outside organizations and so-called nonprofits. And, you know, the Republicans have begun to connect the dots now and understand exactly how these people are funding it. But when you see, you know, for example, the RNC has gotten criticized in the past. Why aren't you filing lawsuits? Okay. Well, 
you know, first of all, if you're if you're following the rules, there are certain caps on the money that you can spend within the party. There's hard dollars and there's soft dollars. Mm -hmm. The left isn't even doing their litigation through the Democratic National Committee. So, you know, you see a lot of comparisons. And I, as a member of the RNC, we see the talking points every month. Oh, we outraised the DNC again. You know, we raised a lot of money. That sounded great to me when I started until I realized that the DNC isn't even where the money is. The money is in slush funds of hundreds of millions of dollars that you never even hear about. So the Democrats don't bother with raising money into the DNC. They do all of their stuff under cover of darkness, not on the pages of Federal Election Commission reports. So, so what, what, you remember 2012, yeah. uh, Reince Priebus, as chair of the Republican National Committee, uh, ordered up an autopsy to find out how in the hell the Republicans lost an election. Uh, the ticket led by Mitt Romney and, and uh, Paul Ryan, how they could lose to a president with plummeting approval ratings, an economy that was a disaster, how they could possibly lose. Well, you know, this time the autopsy may be more literal for the Republican Party, because if, if, you, if you miss, I, I mean, it's game set over. Uh, it, it is, uh, it, it's the end. I really believe it because there just can't be any more of this uh, well, where, they, where one party follows rules and another sits there and, you know, it plays the role of chump. You can't do it in perpetuity. Right. I mean, and, you know, to use President Trump's term, it looks like, you know, we kind of choked. Our candidates choked and, you know, we did not uh, go for the jugular at the times we needed to in that campaign. Well, what you're seeing this year, I, I think it's a little less pessimistic than than, than one might hope. If you actually look at what's happening at the state level, Lou, and I think that's very important, yep. uh, despite what the Democrats are doing, the Republican-run states are, you know, 17 to the top 20 states for job recovery since the pandemic began. 18 of those have Republican-controlled legislatures. So those are not glamorous positions, being a state assemblyman or whatever it is, but that's where the misery index is lower in states where Republicans are in charge. And that matters. Um, you know, the average unemployment rate is under 4% in, in the states with Republican governors, and that's 27 states. So the majority of this country has, at least at that state level, Republicans are running the show, focusing on jobs and pushing back on some of this extremism. So I do have hope there. I also think that while you see Republicans, you know, crowing on television, we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, and, you know, whatever. You know, like I think we can. I think we should. I think that we'd be frankly committing malpractice if we don't. But for me, the real question is, take it back with whom? Um, if I have more Republicans like the ones who simply say, "Oh, well, we can't regulate big tech companies. We can't pass a user's bill of rights because uh, you know that would be putting bureaucrats in charge. We can't have that. They don't have any solution. They simply have talking points from from lobbyists. And so that's what I want to know is uh, before I write a check to anybody is, you know, what are you going to do differently? than your predecessor Republicans. And well, so that's the, the question reality, that people need to be asking. The stark reality is that President Trump was the only president in my lifetime to talk about taking on the drug cartels. He didn't get it done because he was fought within his own party and, and viciously, venomously, and constantly by the Democratic opposition, uh, as if they had stock in the cartels. Mm -hmm. um, this is, a you know, he is, it's still the Trump party, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, certainly from what I see, and certainly a significant number of the RNC members are certainly very supportive of Trump's agenda. The, the, the question again is, though, as we head into 2024, we need better discipline 
in the party than right. what we had heading into 2016. Um, President Trump, love him very much. I have, you know, been close in, in, in even in legal matters for the, for the former president. Right. The 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 personnel failures. I think we have to acknowledge those and 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 understand that if you you can elect the person with the best agenda, rhetoric, and willingness, the servant's heart, to make change in this country and give up what he had to do that, without the several thousand appointees and bureaucrats around, and a willing and loyal Congress and House to confirm these people and push forward the legislative agenda. You don't have anything. You have a bully pulpit without the ability to execute. And right. hopefully that's what Joe Biden's going to have in 2023 and 2024. But the Democrats have all of this dark money that they use. So when you when you know, back to my point about the RNC and filing lawsuits. In fact, they filed a whole bunch of lawsuits. I'm very proud of the improvement this year. But the left doesn't bother to do it through the Democratic National Committee. They have Mark Elias with effectively an unlimited slush fund of money to file lawsuits like they're going out of style. And he doesn't even care if if they win or lose. It's just the the chaos introduced. By the way, he he started complaining about uh, some voting machines that weren't up to snuff uh, after Absolutely. I mean, it's all situational ethics, you know, oh it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. It's situational ethics. So, so these guys, you know, they, they lose a lawsuit, like literally two weeks ago, a lawsuit gets dismissed in Arizona. What do they do the next day? They file the same lawsuit in Virginia. They don't care that it's doomed to fail. They want to make Republicans spend money and tie us up in the courts. And, and yep. by the way, we have to, we have to, we have to show up if we don't show up then we lose and everything gets permanently changed. We have to be doing the same to them. So that's my mission for 2022 is I'm a lawyer. I'm a, that's, that's my skill. I'm not a lobbyist or I have no desire to run for office. I want to go and tie them up in knots in the courts and take the fight to them, not just to join their lawsuits, but sue them first. Yeah. You know, be a a friend of the court. So who is the Perkins Coy? What firm is, uh, if in the Republican Party performs the role of Perkins Coy, for example, and, and several others, uh, and Mark Elias. Mark, Mark Elias, because one of his partners got indicted for stuff that he was involved with, according to the complaint, he has left Perkins Coy. And he has started his own law firm, the Elias Law Firm, I think is the title right, I, That's why so I said, and Mark. His, his, Mark his ilk. And uh, so Perkins Coie and maybe, maybe cleaning up the back end of that stuff. We don't have that on the right. Uh, nobody is funding it. Uh, you know, there have been some noises from the, you know, moneyed, you know, the sort of the, the, the bundlers and the, the bag men in the party to say, well, we need one of those. We need a, we need that. I'm not sure we need a one law firm solution to this. We need lawyers. Let's be again about it. And, and let's get one law firm for the Republican party uh, in the West, the East, the North and the South and the Midwest. How's that? Uh, we I, could I absolutely do this with three or but, four law firms. But, it's doable. I mean, you're, you're watching Perkins Coy, the democratic national committee, the Hillary campaign fund, an absolute savage uh, attack on the candidate of the Republican Party and ultimately the president of the United States. And the RNC has done absolutely nothing to neutralize their rancid, rotten, corrupt practices. Well, I mean, some of us certainly have. 
done plenty. I feel like I have, and I know there are others as well. And I, I think that no, no, from what, what I've I, learned, what I say, what I, uh, Harmeet, I've got the greatest respect for you. You, you do more than any three, uh, four, <laughs> whatever the number is, uh, Republican attorneys I know, and certainly anyone involved in national politics. You've got more guts, more straightforward talk, uh, and straightforward action. Whether you're, you know, defending individuals are going after mask mandates and and other uh, Fauciisms, uh, you know, I, and I salute you for that. But we're talking about the Republican Party here, and mm -hmm. it, this, you know, I went through it in 2020. Uh, the President of the United States arguing about these changes uh, without the state legislatures in election law, that ultimately was the foundation of his loss, in my opinion. You're uh, right. So. But I, I mean, I want to just hear that the Republican Party has a pulse. That's all. We have a pulse. There is a plan. And I would be foolish to talk about that plan in an open public setting like this. So I will not. But uh, there is a plan. And, 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 it, and it's not a, just a plan or an aspiration. It's do or die. We have to succeed at this plan. Or we can, like you said, you know, kiss everything goodbye. We cannot continue as a country with with these circumstances. Um, and so, you know, we have, we have to do better. We have to, we, we, the future of our country depends on, depends on it. Well, as we wrap up here, you get the last word. Uh, and, and I hope you'll give us your, uh, your prediction, your forecast for the 2022 election. Well, for the 2022 election, I think that we're well poised to have a pretty historic, um, you know, once in a generation, reversal in the house and take back the house. But I think, like I said, the devil is in the details. We haven't come to primary season yet. And in states with competitive races, Republicans have choices amongst different Republicans. So I would urge everybody listening to this broadcast to choose wisely because when they are elected and they survive their first year, you know, they're like cockroaches. You cannot get rid of them. They are, they are <laughs> burrowed into the they are burrowed into the building. You cannot get rid of them unless they, you know, absolutely commit some kind of a hate crime, sex crime, and it's also videotaped. You know, so that those are the those are the odds. We have to choose carefully for our new members of Congress. Uh, we have to retire some of our members of Congress. I think Liz Cheney is acting so crazy, and Adam Kinzinger has already announced he's he's out. They, they know their time is numbered, and they're just trying to do as much damage as possible on the way out. Um, so that's what I think. We can't be complacent. Every time I hear Republicans on television say, we're going to take back the House and everything's going to be mm. fine. I mean, we have to say that for sales purposes, but, you know, it makes me cringe. I mean, so the devil is really in the details of who these people are. But I would urge everybody listening here to pay attention to the school board races. I see a lot of positive movement in that all over the country. Parents are fed up and Republicans playing their cards correctly in the states are trying to move that in the direction of recruiting good candidates, running them, supporting them, financing them. We're beginning to take a playbook out of the left by doing that. Uh, so that's what I think. I think that people should focus on rebuilding and glamour. And finally, for every Republican out there who says, I'm not going to vote uh, because my vote doesn't count, um, shame on you. And that level of defeatism is what got us into this situation, it got us into the situation in Georgia and has, has gotten us into midterm potential midterm losses as well. So people need to get out there and vote, need to make a difference, need to get involved. There is no other organization that's going to do it. I've seen some Republican activists say, I'm leaving the Republican Party. 
Republican Party is no good. Well, guess what? The Republican Party is really your only game in town to do some of the work that cannot be done other than through a party. Just, you know, picking who's on the ballot, organizing at the polls, things like that. It just simply can't be done by ragtag bands of independent activists. And so take over your Republican Party locally if you don't like it. That's an option. So get involved. I think those are great words. And uh, Harmeet, as always, great talking with you. I look forward to seeing you here soon. Uh, I hope you'll come back uh, often and uh, uh, regularly. Harmeet Dillon, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lou. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.